Good morning, everyone. I'd like to welcome all of you here, both members and guests, and um, if you will take the time to take the pew pad, which is right next to you if you're sitting on the edge of the aisle, uh, at the edge of the seats, and sign yourselves in. We'd like to know who is here and check any appropriate blanks. And you're also welcome to stay for coffee hour. It's a good time to meet all your friends. And I do not have any announcements. Jesus said, in me you may have peace, in the world you face persecution, but take courage, I have conquered the world. Let us give thanks for the cosmic triumph of God in Christ that has the potential to set us and the world free.
Please pray with me. Loving God, your purposes as revealed through the prophets were fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Christ, fulfilled for all time and for all people. With confidence in your mighty power and your great love, we anticipate the full manifestation of your victory over death-dealing forces of darkness in our troubled world. When we face difficult times in our own lives, encourage us to trust in your ultimate purpose. Then bring us to the light and victory of Easter resurrection. Receive our joyful praise today, we pray. Amen. In the book of Acts, the writer tells us that the apostle Peter addressed people soon after the resurrection and said to them, Repent, therefore, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Peter's words have come also to us with the same admonition, and so we pray. Victorious God, we have seen evidence of your redeeming purpose and power in raising of Jesus from the darkness of the tomb. Although this is comforting, strife and injustice surround us, it causes us to wonder where in the world you are and when your victory will come. Headline news prompts us to be tempted to despair of the ultimate triumph of good. We have read and heard about your goodness and your defeat of darkness, but we struggle to place our trust in you. The thanks we offer for our deliverance is often short-lived. Forgive us for doubting that you have a plan for us and that you will speak a hopeful word through Jesus, the saving word of life and truth. Amen. On the cross, Christ's body was broken and given in sacrificial love, and still as a risen and unseen presence, he symbolizes the breaking, blessing, and giving of God whose costly love wipes out our sin. As a forgiven people, we offer our praise in thanksgiving. Please be seated. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, but we will not, but we will not have Sorry, what we, ha- what we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. 
No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The word of the Lord. Well, I'm going to invite children to join me up here on the stairs. I've been out digging in the garden at my house, and I brought something that I dug up in the garden. You know what this is? It is a flower. Do you know what kind of flower it is? Huh? A tulip. It could be a tulip, actually, this time of year. But this one's a daffodil. And, you know, I used to think that if in order to have things grow, you had to plant a seed. But I have learned that there are other things, not just seeds. This one is called a bulb. Do you see the roundish thing here? And that's a bulb. And when daffodils grow, if you decide that they grow together and you have sometimes this bulb forms another bulb beside it. And so if you dig it up and you separate the other bulb and plant that bulb, then next year I would have how many daffodils? Two. At least two. And then it would go two to four. It could grow lots of daffodils that way. I thought that that's kind of interesting. I I like daffodils because they kind of look like trumpets, you know, and tell you that spring is arriving. I thought this was interesting that this is a bulb and we have a hymn that we're going to sing today. The title of the hymn is In the Bulb There is a Flower. Now this is the bulb but the bulb creates the energy for God to grow these flowers. And I always thought they came all the energy came from the flower. No, the energy comes from that which sometimes we can't see. I think that that is just miraculous that it works that way. And it's true for us. Sometimes people do all kinds of good things and we never see all the good that they do. But that's what makes the world better. In the bulb, there is power. And in this one, there's a flower too. Let's pray about this, and then I think the congregation will help us sing that. Lord God, we give you thanks for this beautiful spring day and for the message of hope we have just in the flowers around us, daffodils like this one. As you have provided the power for growth, may you also provide the power in us to be your faithful people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Probably, did you ever hear the song before? It's kind of interesting. Do you want to head off to Sunday school? That's good. Would you like to head off to Sunday school too? Thanks for coming up.
A reading from the book of Acts. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people. You Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. But you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God had raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by faith in his name, his name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. And now, friends, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out. The word of the Lord. John, thank you to you and to Judy for reading. Actually, um, I cornered uh, John and Judy to read at the first service, and they agreed that they would stick around and read for this one. And You'll note that Carrie's not here. She learned that her father had had a heart attack yesterday, and she headed off to Deep Creek, Maryland, and uh, we assume that she arrived there okay, but we'll remember uh, her dad, Ed Neff, in prayer later during the service. Um, we've put a creed in the bulletin today. We don't always have a creed like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. Uh, the Presbyterian Church, by the way, has about ten creedal statements, um, Things like the Second Helvetic Confession, you probably never heard of that. And uh, the Westminster Confession, you probably heard about that, but don't know much about it. And, uh, but you do know the Apostles' Creed. And the reason why you have memorized that one is because of all the creeds, it's the shortest. <laughs> and, and that's why we tend to re- remember that one. So I decided that that would be kind of fun to see if we could put that ancient creed into something a little different, a little different idiom. So I have decided to write that creed in poetry and to also think in my own mind a hymn tune for which to create the meter. And um, so that's explained here. Um, There are lots of other of those creeds, by the way, that I think are fascinating. Most of you probably know nothing about the theological declaration of Barman. Am I pretty much? I'm probably right about that. Uh, That's an interesting creed that was written in the 1930s by a group of Christians in Germany. And um, they believed that Jesus Christ was their king. And they were told that they had to their other king was de Führer, right? They needed to do the things that Adolf Hitler told them to do. And they said, but what Hitler's asking us to do and what we think Jesus Christ is asking us to do are two very different things. So they wrote a theological statement saying Jesus Christ is our king, basically, and not de Führer. And those who wrote that statement lost their lives. They were killed. Uh, it's just one of many creeds. So this is one way of to look at a different creed. Now, something else I thought we'd do. Some of you may have grown up in churches where people would read the Bible, and then at some point um, 
if the gospel lesson was read, people would stand for the reading of the gospel. And the reason was, if the gospel was being read, it meant that you were actually going to read the words of Jesus at some point. And since Jesus is the king, we stood in honor of the king, so people would stand for the reading of the gospel. So I thought we'd do this. You don't usually share a creed sitting down. You do that standing up. So we'll stand up for this creed, and then we'll remain standing for the reading of the gospel. I believe in God the Father, the Almighty God above, maker of the earth and heaven, which were formed in God's great love. And in Jesus, loving Jesus, God's own Son, who makes us new, this the creed of generations tells the faith for our church too. Jesus, by God's Holy Spirit, was so wondrously conceived, born unto the Virgin Mary, who your promises believed. Jesus, suffering under Pilate, on a cross was crucified. Soldiers mocked him, friends denied him. He hung there until he died. So it was, our Lord was buried, in a borrowed tomb he lay. To the dead he then descended. Where was joy on earth that day? There is more to God's great story. In three days he rose again. He ascended into heaven and sit at God's right hand. Believe what God has promised. Christ will come as he has said. He will judge the nation's peoples, both the living and the dead. I believe God's Holy Spirit makes the church one family. We're surrounded by God's people, saints who in our Lord believe. I believe that God forgives us, wipes out sin so that we may be with God whose grace will raise us on our resurrection day. We rejoice we'll live forever, singing praise to God's great name. This, the creed of generations, is the faith that we proclaim. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? Why do doubts rise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, And he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
I'm so glad that all of the hallelujahs that were missing during Lent kind of returned today, and that's great. Wilmer was sitting in the psychiatrist's office. He was complaining about an obsession that was ruining his life. It's baseball, doctor. Baseball is destroying me. You've got to help me. I can't even get away from it in sleep. As soon as I close my eyes, I'm there chasing a fly ball. I'm running around the bases. When I wake up, I'm more tired than when I was when I went to bed. I don't know what to do. And the psychiatrist, Dr. Lanza, sat back and she kind of folded her hands. And she said, first of all, you should make a conscious effort not to dream about baseball. For example, when you close your eyes, try to imagine that you're at a party where someone is about to give you several million dollars. And Wilmer said, are you crazy, doctor? If I do that, I'm going to miss my turn at bat. (laughs) Most of us have passions of some sort. For lots of folks, it is sports. Some people cannot live without them. And that's worth thinking. What is it that is so important to me, I could not live without it? In other words, what's your passion? Now, Simon Peter's passion was serving Jesus Christ. Here was a passionate fisherman. And from what we observe in the New Testament, it seems like he never finished high school. But after the resurrection and a recognition of Jesus, not simply as a Messiah, but the Messiah, his passion to serve Christ takes even a broader dimension. He took every opportunity he had to preach. Sometimes there would be this uh, miraculous healing, and then he would launch into one of his sermons with something like this. You Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Why are you staring at us as though by your own power or piety we made him walk? And then Peter would uh, begin to tell about Jesus. He'd give a little background. Uh, He'd start with Abraham and, and eventually he would get around to something like this. Repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. John read it for us. Now, when I hear those words wiped out, my mind goes to 1962 and to a never-again-to-be-heard-from music group from Glendora, California. During the 1960s, there developed with our California culture an attempt to convey the rhythm and feeling of surfing through music. And although it started on the West Coast, it eventually appeared on the Atlantic Coast as well. One group that emerged for a brief international status was called, I love it, it's the only thing I remember about all that music, is their name. They were surfers, right? They were called the Surfaris. During a recording session, It was suggested that a gimmick sound indicating wiping out on your surfboard or falling off in the ocean could be emulated, and the final result was the sound of cracking boards 
And then this lay, crazy laugh at the introduction. The name of the song was Wipe Out. It was a single born that night at PAL Studios in Cucamonga, California. And Bob Berryhill and Pat Conley and Jim Foley and Bob's brother Ron all recorded Wipe Out. Um, it was a 45. We still had 45s in the 60s. And uh, on the reverse side of that 45 was another song called Surfer Joe. It became used in commercials. You can hear it in movie soundtrack films. The last film I remember hearing it was Meet the Parents. And you don't want to wipe out when you do that. So my mind goes to the sound of surfing music with the words wipe out from the text. But maybe your mind goes to something else, like that reality TV show with the same name, Wipeout. Do you ever watch that? It was usually on late at night. It was kind of a group of people trying to cross the world's largest obstacle course. There were spinning paddles and wheels, and if the paddles hit you, they knocked you into the pool. I, I mean, I've wiped out a time or two. I mean, it's just stepping off the curb. Everything's so dramatic. Then there is that phrase that says something menacing can be eradicated. We've done a pretty good job of wiping out chickenpox and diphtheria and tetanus and typhoid and yellow fever and smallpox. But just about the point that we think that something has been entirely wiped out, some new strain of malaria reemerges. We've wanted to wipe out polio. And tomorrow when we hold a memorial service for Bob Cook here, we'll remember that he's had polio since age three. He lived to be 93. We thought we had wiped out measles until this year. We have efforts to wipe out various kinds of cancer, and then there is that political tussle of one nation attempting to wipe out another, or a sinister plan by a group in Germany to wipe out all of the Jews or all of those people with mental illness. There have been various forms of genocide where whole races or classes of people have been exterminated or wiped out. Currently, that is happening in the Middle East. And sadly, the group that people are trying to wipe out are Christians. And I am a little disturbed that it appears that we do not have enough political leadership in our nation's capital to have the courage to name what is happening. Now, there are a number of Christian groups in the United States who are asking that other Christians wear orange beginning with this Sunday to express their concern for solidarity with Christians in that part of the world who are facing genocide. Are you aware that this week 30,000 Christians died in the Middle East because they were Christians? No other reason?
So I thought I would wear orange. Not orange jumpsuits like some are encouraging us to do, but orange. What might happen? And how could it be that sins could be wiped out? That's a word we don't use much anymore. It's it's not in vogue, the word sin. But that would be transformative. Martha and I went to the Jiva to watch the play The Mountaintop this week. I don't know if you've been there. The play has two characters who are in a motel room the night before Dr. Martin Luther King was shot. The two characters are Martin Luther King and a motel maid. During the play, you learn that the maid is an angel who has been sent to help Dr. King know what awaits him the next day. Partway through the play, about halfway through, I was struggling to maintain interest. I want to be honest. But the ending of the play is powerful. The jiva used its technical skill and the stage was transformed and Dr. King was given the opportunity to see what the world would be like for the next 50 years after he was shot. And the whole back of the theater moves from one scene to the next of what was happening in this country and around the world. Fifty years of peering into the future from the mountaintop. All that remains as people exit from the theater is a quote from Dr. King that fills the theater. The quote was this, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And I think I might even go so far as to say, which he did not say, righteousness cannot wipe out sin. Only repentance and grace can do that. And as I surveyed the Bible passages that emerged from our readings today, like Acts 3, repent therefore and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. I mean, the first John passage reminds us that sin is lawlessness and only those who do what is right will be righteous. We learn in Scripture that is the, the righteous will be the ones who ultimately inherit the good things that God promises. But how in the world are we to become righteous? Can we all do just always the right things? I doubt it. We have a fear that none of us will ever get to heaven if we depend only on our always doing the right things. I mean, maybe you know, uh, you're familiar with an account of a Minneapolis family who decided to escape this past winter by taking a trip to Florida. 
Now, they planned to stay in the same hotel where they spent their honeymoon 20 years earlier. And because of their hectic schedules, they wanted to use coupons and special flight rates. The husband left Minnesota and flew to Florida on Thursday, and his wife was going to fly to Florida the following day, and they were going to save half the cost of the airfare. Well, the husband checked into the hotel. He sat down at the computer at that little business center in the hotel, and he sent his wife an email. However, he accidentally left one letter out of her email address, and without realizing his error, he sent his email to an erroneous address. Meanwhile, somewhere in Houston, Texas, a widow had just returned home from her husband's funeral. This widow was breaking the silence of her grief by checking her email, expecting some messages from her relatives and friends. And after reading the first message, she fainted. Her son heard the thud as she hit the floor. He had come home to help with arrangements. He rushed into the room and he found his mother on the floor. She wasn't hurt, just a bit dazed. And then he looked up and read the computer screen. To my loving wife, subject, I've arrived. I know you're surprised to hear from me. They have computers here now, and you're allowed to send emails to your loved ones. I have just arrived and have checked in. I see that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is as uneventful as mine was. P.S. It sure is hot down here. (laughs) Boy, I can really readily understand the confusion and concern there, can't you? But we are confused about this stuff, about wanting to be right, to inherit God's promise. Not only do we not understand the use of the word sin much, we don't understand worth righteous much. Now, the word righteous or righteousness, just like the word sin, is a good word. But we've allowed people to hijack it and to trash it and almost make it a negative word rather than one of positive character. I mean, we don't know the difference anymore. We can only think of the word righteousness when it has the prefix of the word self in front of it. And so it bothers us because it says to us to be right means we're righteous and self-righteous. And the text, the scripture don't say that. Matter of fact, what the scripture says is that God loves us so much that God wants us to be right and that God provides Jesus Christ and his atoning death so that we might be made right by God's forgiving grace. If I wanted to sum up everything I have to say today, it sound, this is going to sound very disconnected, by the way. 
I think it would be this. God carries your picture in his wallet. But I don't think this is a picture about our appearance. It's about our character. It isn't about our wealth, our poverty, our bloodlines, our finishing lines. It's about being civil and supportive and unique and caring. It's about being God's faithful people. We are to love differently. We are to love as if we've been forgiven. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are to listen for God's voice, not just our own. We should consider ourselves to be subject to one another. We should practice kindness and charity. We should bear each other's burdens. We should forgive rather than just carry grudges. We need to have our sins wiped out. Now, I want to give you an example, and I'm going to do this only because I've been requested to. Uh, I read a small poem eight years ago, and it was at this time of year. And I've been asked for this more than any other. And usually that request comes in the spring. So somebody said, could you please read that again? Because I need to hear it. It takes us back to our introduction about passion and sport. And it's interesting, we have a lot of very righteous people when it comes to sports. And that's especially true if you're a parent. We don't have children that go out so much and John owns the bat and Charlie owns the baseball and, and, and Frank owns first base and we share a couple of gloves and you have to figure out how to compromise so that you can play. Now, now everything is organized and sometimes you even have to pick the kids up and carry them to the plate. But parents aren't always the most kind. They can be very self-righteous. He stands at the plate, heart pounding fast. The bases are loaded, the die is cast. Mom and dad cannot help him. He stands there all alone. A hit at this moment would send the team home. The ball meets the plate. He swings. He misses. There's a groan from the crowd, some boos, some hisses. A thoughtless voice cries, Strike out the bum! Tears fill his eyes. Baseball is no longer fun. So open your heart, give him a break, for it's moments like these a man you can make. Keep this in mind when you hear someone forget. He's just a boy. He's not a man yet. And that's true for most of us. 
Everybody around is a child of God, right? The name Dwight L. Moody probably doesn't mean much to you unless you're from Chicago and then you know about the Moody Bible Institute that's there. Dwight L. Moody was a very famous evangelist years ago. And so much so, he was kind of like a, he was kind of like a rock star, you know. He, people showed up from all over the country to hear what Dwight L. Moody had to say. Well, one time, Dwight L. Moody got on a train just before a group of young men who'd been drinking too much got on the same coach. And the face of one of these men was pretty badly bruised. One eye had swollen shut. But he recognized Mr. Moody. And he began intentionally to disturb this great preacher who was trying to take a little nap in his seat on the train. And this young man was uh, swearing at him and trying to make fun of some hymns and talking very loud. Finally, Mr. Moody, in indignation, started to move, but was reminded by a companion that there were just no more seats on the train. So when the conductor came through to take up tickets, Mr. Moody complained about the man, said, could you move him, get him out of this car? The conductor spoke to the man, took him to the baggage car, bathed his eye, bound his wounds, and held him till he fell asleep. And the next night, Mr. Moody's sermon was a confessional statement of how he was so guilty of abusing his righteousness. I think all of us can wear those same shoes. Righteousness is not right when it has the word self in front of it because then it becomes very misdirected. Righteousness is not right when areas of its expression are limited. I mean, Jesus is able to put his finger on forms of righteousness, which in themselves were good, but did not go far enough to encompass the whole of life. We only become righteous, really, when God, nothing we do, wipes out our sins. That's why you've come, isn't it? To hear that again? Because it's a message we need. And if you think it's a message we need as well, there's a prayer we can use in our bulletin today. Loving God, your almighty God, with Christians everywhere, we claim the victory you have won. We claim it for one another and for the whole world. As Christ's people, we choose to live and give and witness and work for the new order and peace of your dominion upon this earth. Bless this offering we now make with anticipation, firm faith, and thanksgiving. Amen.
You may be seated. As I mentioned earlier, uh, we should probably be in prayer, not only for uh, Carrie and her travel, but also her dad and her stepmom. Um, dad is Ed Neff. And um, they were in Deep Creek. I'm not sure where they are at the moment. Um, the Neff family was planning, by the way, to move to Willow Valley, which is near Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And uh, this will probably change some of those plans. Uh, Bob Cook's memorial service, I said, will be here tomorrow, and you will want to remember um, Mary Lou, who I usually look up and see her singing in the choir, and um, she will be grieving the loss of Bob, uh, a brilliant uh, scholar, by the way. He didn't hold academic degrees that people think he held at RIT or U of R, but taught there and chaired a department. And if I had a question about literature, I would call Bob Cook. Um, also to remember in prayer our Christian brothers and sisters who face incredible persecution around the world but particularly in the Middle East are you aware that the country of Turkey was at one time the largest Christian nation in the world 14 million Christians there are only 3,500 of them left Let's pray. Oh God, ever-present, ever-loving, ever-caring, you are the focus of our attention, the one whom we are gathered here to worship. We thank you that each of us might sing of the Christ on the Emmaus Road, believing these few days after Easter that you still walk with us. We thank you that as a church we can be assured of Christ's presence even as we worship. And we're thankful for the challenge he brings to us. We pray that we might hear with the ears of faith Christ calling us by name to arise from our tombs of doubt and defeat and despair. We pray that we might anticipate and be attentive to meeting with Christ amid the familiar tasks of our everyday lives. We pray, O God, for those in the valley of the shadow, whether of illness or grief or depression or loneliness. We pray for the gift of Christ's peace and stability for those disabled by tension and turmoil, locally and far away. And we pray for those in need of courage to let go of the past and to surrender their fear of the future. So, O God, we ask that you would be with us, that you would perfect our lives, and that you would wipe out our sin, even as we pray the words Jesus taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us as we give our And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Christ has risen while her slumbers. Christ has risen where hope died. As he said and as he promised, as we doubted and denied. Let the moon embrace the blessing. Let the sun sustain the cheer. Let the world confirm the rumor. Christ is risen. God is here. Christ has risen for the people whom he died to love and save. Christ has risen for the women bringing flowers to grace his grave. Christ has risen for disciples huddled in an upstairs room. He whose word inspired creation can be silenced by the tomb. Christ has risen and forever lives to challenge and to change. All whose lives are best and mangled, all who find religion strange. Christ is risen, brought in present, making us what he has been. Evidence of transformation in which God is known and I have a very different benediction today. It's not one that I ever delivered, but one that I wrote for the day of my ordination. And that day I was presented a Bible, which was a Jerusalem Bible. It sat on my shelf all these years. And I use it, but tucked in the Bible, and I only discovered it because it was tucked into Acts chapter 3 that I looked at this week, was a Franciscan benediction to be put in that Catholic Bible. Here it is. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of others, so that you might work for justice and freedom. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain or rejection, so that you might reach out your hand to comfort them and to turn their pain into joy. May God bless you with foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world, so that you can do what others say cannot be done, for Christ's sake. So may God bless you with discomfort. May God bless you with anger. May God bless you with tears and with foolishness. And may God wipe out our sins. Go in peace.
Thank you for taking good care of us. Who would know, right? You wouldn't even know. Actually, you had Christians all over wearing jumpsuits in orange, which I thought was kind of tacky, overkill for a statement. But it's kind of interesting. A lot of them were wearing orange ribbons and so forth because this is being lost. People are not. Yeah, just last week alone. And, and we don't hear about it. Our, our national government doesn't complain. Our president says, what? 